Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our Spring Bible Conference, Wednesday 1st of May 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Andrew Campbell, who takes his reading from Ruth, Chapter 4, and brings a message entitled, Mission Accomplished. Good evening. Good to see you. Thanks for coming up again to our study in the Book of Ruth. As Clifford says, some of you have been here every night, so I admire your stickability uh, to be here. And we're concluding tonight as we uh, turn to Ruth chapter 4, this wonderful book nestled in between the Book of Judges and 1 Samuel. So we'll read the entire chapter, chapter 4 together. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1, and this is God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought it from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Paphra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your soul your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you. 
who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminabad. Aminabad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Ending our reading at verse 21. We thank God for his precious word. Harry and Meghan are waiting anxiously for the birth of their first child, a child who will be seventh in line to the throne. And the paparazzi are waiting anxiously. They're waiting with bated breath for the news of the arrival of this child. And they'll be in a frenzy to see who'll get the best photograph for the newspapers the following day. There's great anticipation over the birth of a royal baby. There's great anticipation of the birth of any child. And as we come to the end of our study in the book of Ruth, we come, we see enormous joy and delight at a baby born in Bethlehem. A baby who would be called Obed, who would be the grandfather of King David, who would be of the royal line of another baby born in royal David city 1,200 years later, the Lord Jesus. And as we studied the book of Ruth, we have seen how God uses ordinary people to fulfill his great plan of redemption, even those with a checkered past, people like Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, who was the mother of Boaz, people like Ruth, the pagan girl from Moab, who made a commitment to Naomi saying, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And the overarching theme of the book of Ruth is that of restoration and return. God is working out his purposes. And at times we look at our own lives and the trials and the pain. And we may wonder what's going on. Where is God in all of my life? What we need to remember tonight is that We don't limit the purposes of God as if he's only working one person at a time. He's working his purposes for our lives through countless people. Those people who love him and serve him, those people who do not even know him yet. Maybe, as you sit here tonight, you have a concern over a loved one who's not a Christian. They're far from God. And you think it's all about what you do. How often you pray. Remember the Lord is working behind the scenes, sovereignly arranging divine appointments, even accidents that will draw people to himself. I used to work with a young guy in Belfast. I left my work eight years ago. And he was in his twenties, late twenties, whenever I left work, and he was just about to get married and he had two daughters. And um, the marriage ran into trouble. And I, I was in contact with him back and forward. And he wasn't a Christian. And I tried to witness to him and work. But I lost contact with him. And I would text him from now and, now and again. And so I texted him there at the start of the year to see how things were going. And this is the reply that he gave. He sent me on a text message. Well, after a couple of terrible years on a personal level, 
and a two-year-long fight with depression and also feeling under conviction. On the, on the 7th of October, I finally accepted Jesus as my Savior and handed all over to Him. A burden of anger and bitterness immediately left me, and by December, no more antidepressants, a new life full of hope and happiness. God is working out His purposes, and it's all in His hands. All things, that includes all events in everyone's life, are all working together for our good and for God's glory. And you should take great comfort tonight in this story that God has perfectly weaved together His purposes for Naomi and Ruth to fulfill His great plan of redemption. And He's weaving out His purposes in our seemingly insignificant and maybe meaningless lives. The God who made the universe, the God who sustains the universe, the God, this God is working out His master plan for this world. And listen, He's interested in you. And He's intimately and continually involved in our lives the people who come across our paths, the community he's placed us in, where you work, God is sovereignly in control of that. And as we will see at the conclusion of this chapter, he always puts the finishing touches to the work he begins. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And last night, if you were here, we ended in chapter 3. We were on the edge of our seats. Will they? Won't they? We saw that Boaz was a man of conviction. He was a man of integrity, a man of action. He's a picture, as we've been saying, of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And in this redemption-soaked chapter, there are four things we see about redemption. First of all, we see redemption offered. Verses 1 and 2, we see this Boaz goes to the city gate. And the city gate was where the official business and legal business was carried out. The city gate was the focal point of the local community. And we're told that Boaz goes there and he sits down. And he waits for this closer relative to Naomi to arrive. Look at verse 1 and just notice how Boaz speaks to him. He says, "'Turn aside, friend, sit down here.'" In the original, it means something like this, so-and-so, or what's your name? Come over here and sit down. The next thing he does, he calls 10 elders of the city to witness this conversation. And Boaz offers this man the first right of redemption. But notice, he doesn't begin with Ruth. He begins with the land. And this is a very attractive option. This is one of the duties of the close relative, the, the Goel. He has an option to buy the land belonging to Naomi. And Boaz informs him he's ready to step in if he's not willing to buy it. But we're told, look at verse 4, the man replies instantaneously, I will redeem it. I wonder how Boaz felt when he heard these words. Did he take a sharp intake of breath? Did his heart sink? Did he think his big romance with Ruth was all over? But Boaz is a shrewd man, and then he plays his trump card, and he announces with the land comes an added bonus, a wife and a mother-in-law. 
See, the only man didn't realize that there were strings attached to this property deal. Boaz announces, if you want the land, you need to take Ruth the Moabitess. Boaz reminds this man of his obligation to take the widow along with the land, to perpetuate the family name. Notice how Boaz does everything in accordance with God's word. No shortcuts, no cutting corners. He's a godly man and he's an obedient man. He had his heart set on marrying Ruth. He loved Ruth. But he will only redeem Ruth in such a way that honors God and honors God's law. This is redemption offered. But secondly, we see redemption declined. First, look at verse 6. We're told that the man is unwilling to take up the offer. He's willing to redeem the land, but he's unwilling to redeem Ruth as part of the deal. We don't know if he's already married with a family, perhaps he's children, and this proposed deal, this proposed redemption will complicate things in the family. The indication here in verse 6 is this will ruin his own inheritance. And it changes his perspective almost immediately. And he declines to take up Boaz's offer. See, the kinsman would be responsible for everything relating to a child's upbringing. And this man's beginning to count the cost in his mind, the cost of redeeming Ruth. And his mind is working overtime. He would have additional mouths to feed. He might have to put an extension onto the house. What an expensive commitment this would be. And he realizes if he takes Ruth on board, the land will be inherited by her future family instead of his own. This is just a step too far. I'll take the land because I could pass it on to my children. But the wife's not part of it. That's, that's too complicated for me. He quickly passes the hot potato back to Boaz. I'll decline your offer. It's over to you, Boaz. Redemption declined. And you look at verse 7, we have this strange custom of handing over the, the sandal as a confirmation of the deal. I'm very glad they don't do that today as confirmation of the deal because I think of some of the people that I have done business with and I would not like them to take their shoes off. Especially some of the farmers I know. That would be a deal breaker for me. But this custom was significant. It was similar today to a, a property transaction where the solicitor gets everyone to sign the papers, maybe hands over the keys as confirmation of the deal. And I believe the author of the book of Ruth deliberately chooses to leave this person anonymous because he refused his covenant obligations. This man will have no further part to play in the drama, just like Orpha. He's no further plan, part of God's plan of redemption. Remember in chapter 1, two women were confronted with the cost of following Naomi's God, and Ruth only had the conviction and the courage to put her trust in Jehovah. Here in chapter 4, we have two men faced with a very costly commitment, and the unnamed man turns his back on his duty. Redemption declined. Mr. So-and-so, what's his name, has no understanding of grace, of giving himself for others. He's number one in his, his life. And he's like so many people, his priority is the world that is seen rather than the world that is unseen. 
This man is drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, it's over to you, Boaz. This is a step too far for me. Just like the rich young ruler who met the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18. And whenever he was faced with the real cost of discipleship and it was going to hit his pocket, he refused to leave it all and forsake and follow Christ. And the unnamed man says, I'm declining my right of redemption. Thirdly, in verses 9 to 12, we see redemption confirmed. How delighted Boaz must have been. The close relative isn't prepared to redeem Ruth. He was able to redeem her, but he was unwilling to redeem her. Boaz is both willing and able. Buying their land will cost him. But he had the resources. Taking Ruth to be his wife wasn't his duty, it was his delight. Boaz loved her. And there was no price too high for him to pay. No sacrifice too much for him to take her under his wings. He shows true grace and he will fulfill the covenant obligations to Ruth and Naomi. And look at verse 10. For the second time we're told, Boaz says, your witnesses this day. It's as if Boaz is called a press conference to announce his coming marriage, to announce his intentions. This is a picture again tonight of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no obligation to redeem us. But in eternity past, before the world was made, there was a time when the Lord Jesus declared his intention to redeem us, to rescue us. It was his choice. And there was no other way for us to be redeemed. God had to become a man to secure our redemption. And the second person of the Trinity volunteered volunteer to redeem us. What a redemption this was. It was a, a pleasurable redemption. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's delight to redeem us. Despite the cost. And in the midst of his great sorrow and anguish on the cross, he gained tremendous satisfaction. Securing our redemption. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. It was a, a pleasurable redemption, but it was also a precious redemption. He didn't hesitate to pay the price. He willingly bore our sins in his body in the tree. He didn't have to leave the splendor of heaven. He didn't have to leave the, the worship of the angels to secure redemption, but he did. And he came to this sin-sick world. And as Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. The redemption of our souls was at infinite cost, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Pleasurable, precious but it was also a very public redemption. Whenever Boaz completes this redemption, there are many witnesses. It's at the city gate. It was public. Everybody in the town was aware of what's going on. And our redemption was very public too. It was in a main thoroughfare just outside the city of Jerusalem. And the crowds will watch our Savior securing your redemption and my redemption as the angels of heaven watched with bated breath 
as their champion endured such public humiliation. But this was also a very purposeful redemption. See, Boaz redeemed Ruth to maintain the family line of Elimelech and Malon. And look at verse 10, it says that the name of the dead may not be cut off. He shows admirable and unselfish commitment to the family of Elimelech and the future of that family name hang on Boaz's shoulders. And the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us by his death, a people for himself. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. The death of Jesus Christ was no accident. It was a purposeful redemption to rescue his people. And Boaz declares before the elders of the town, I will be the kinsman redeemer. I will buy the land from Naomi and it will stay in the family name. I don't care what it costs me. I love Ruth. And he says, I want her to be my wife. I'll do the right thing. I want to confirm her redemption. Boaz does the right thing at the right time because Boaz is a God-centered man. He's typical of that man, that blessed man in Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And we should always obey God's word. Even if it will prove costly with regard to our money, our time, our choice of friends, our career. Obedience is what we're called to. See the wonderful grace of the God and the way Boaz accepts Ruth. And the way the Lord has lavished his love upon Ruth. And look at verse 11. The people give her this remarkable blessing. They prayed that God would bless this foreign woman in the same way as Rachel and Leah, the two of the wives of Jacob, who were the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. She's left her family and her faith. She's displayed loyal love to Naomi. She's committed despite the worst of circumstances. And the people knew very well Ruth's character. And the Lord is going to reward Ruth for her steadfast love, her unswerving commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Redemption offered, declined, confirmed. Lastly, we see redemption secured. Look at verse 13. We're told, Boaz took Ruth to be his wife, and the Lord gave her a son. There's no mention of Ruth's previous inability to have children. And like so many other women in the Bible, such as Sarah and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth, who were barren for so long, the Lord blesses Ruth with a son. There's a lot happens in verse 13. A wedding, a pregnancy, a birth. Some stunning big picture information here. And we're told the women, probably the same women who greeted Naomi whenever she came back from Moab, are now delighted with this new arrival. And they praise the Lord. They have witnessed a very obvious turnaround in Naomi's fortunes. She has quite literally a new lease of life. And they know it is the Lord who has orchestrated all these events in Naomi's life. Verse 14 says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. That's that 
word again, goel. We've encountered so many times in the book. There was a time in Naomi's experience whenever she really believed that God, God had forsaken her. That God had stopped working in her life. And she'd blame God for all her tragedy. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means better. But here we see clearly that God has not withheld his blessing from her. And the women thank God for providing a grandson for Naomi, one who will maintain the family line of Elimelech and Malon. And they prayed that this child would be a, a comfort to Naomi in her old age and that he would be famous in all Israel. Look at verse 15. They say, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher for your old age. Literally that means restorer of the soul. Psalm 23. He restores my soul. And the women are delighted. And they're equally delighted now that Naomi's emptiness has now been filled with the arrival of a grandson. Can you just see how marvelously the Lord has turned everything around for Naomi? Naomi came back from Moab empty and bitter. Now the Lord has graciously given her a grandson. And look at the recommendation and opinion of Ruth in verse 15. They say that she's better than seven sons. See, there's a time in the book that she was known as Ruth the Moabite. Now we see the high respect and favor she has. We see the theme of fullness continuing in verse 17. The women actually say a child has been born to Naomi. They call him Obed, which means one who serves. And the writer confirms that this child will be part of the royal Davidic line, leading us to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. We began the book... And there was no king in Israel. And there was no bread in Israel. But God is in the restoration business. And he gave Naomi a grandson. And his grandson will be Israel's greatest king. What a wonderful story this is. How the Lord fulfills his purposes. How those who trust him he will bring them back from devastation and loss. Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. Makes me think of Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Naomi has shed many tears. This has been a profound valley experience. She's been through the darkest of dark valleys, yet the Lord was at her side. The bitterness replaced with bounty. The famine now replaced with fullness. The tears replaced with joy. The book begins with famine in Bethlehem. Ends with a wedding in Bethlehem. The book begins with Naomi leaving Bethlehem in danger. The book ends with Naomi back in Bethlehem and her future secure. The book begins with Naomi leaving Bethlehem with her two sons, holding her two sons, ends with her in Bethlehem holding her grandson. We saw two marriages in Moab and then death. We end with marriage in Bethlehem and then a birth. 
We see her as a widow of two sons in Moab. Now we see her with a daughter-in-law who's better than seven sons. James McKeown, who's from Northern Ireland, said he's a lovely commentary in the Book of Ruth. He says, The Book of Ruth begins with deprivation, death, and bitterness, and ends with hope, fertility, and blessing. Can you just picture Naomi sitting in her rocking chair nursing her grandson and singing, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort. Here by faith in him to dwell, for I know what are before me. Jesus doeth all things well. What a wonderful picture of the glorious fullness and restoration the Lord has lavished on Naomi. After all the despondency and grief, we have delight and gladness. And the women who pray for Naomi have a wonderful insight. Because they realize that God's ultimate purpose for Naomi will be fulfilled beyond her life in her ancestors. See, the real significance is in the family line we read at the end of the book. That Obed's grandson is none other than King David. And we read this family tree again in Matthew 1. It's the genealogy of David's greater son, our kinsman and redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason behind Naomi's pain and Ruth's pain. This is why they have suffered the dark night of the soul because God was using the anguish of these women to fulfill his purposes, to bring his son into the world 1,200 years later in Bethlehem. God brought Ruth to the house of bread in Bethlehem as part of his great redemptive plan to bring the bread of life who be broken for the sins of this world, that he would provide salvation for all who will believe. Boaz purchased Ruth to be his wife. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased his bride, the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. And one day, We know not when. The Lord Jesus will come again and he will take us to our reward which will be that wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. So as we conclude our study in the book of Ruth, we see clearly our sovereign God working out his purposes for his glory, his providential hand moving in the seen and the unseen. And as you sit here this evening, things may be very complicated for you and for your family. Unexplained difficulties, uncomfortable drawbacks. And you think to yourself, if he really loves me, why am I going through this? As a Christian, we, need, we all need to remember that God is in complete control. Nothing happens outside His sovereign will. And everything that comes across our path, He's weaving it for His glory, our good. And His purpose for all of us is to be more like His Son, the Lord Jesus.
It's like the illustration from Corrie ten Boom. And she says that life's like a tapestry. And as events unfold on, on real time, it's like viewing the back of the tapestry and everything just appears like a jumble of thread. Occasionally knotted, frayed, seemingly random, nothing makes sense. And at times it's surprising that people lose heart. It's not surprising people lose heart and give up on the, because things aren't what they, they wish they were going to be. But you see, it's only whenever you turn the tapestry around, you see the art, the rich colors, the fine texture, the patterns that make the tapestry a thing of astonishing beauty. And I believe in a similar way, God gives us a glimpse of what he's weaving into the fabric of our lives. That little momentary glimpse of glory, that ephah of barley we looked at in chapter 2. Those sort of things give us the courage to keep going, to soldier on, knowing that nothing happens by accident. See, no thread of experience, good or bad, is wasted. When it all appears to you to be, just remind yourselves that you're looking at the back of the tapestry. And the one who's weaving it together knows exactly what he's doing. God is working out his purposes. And he's doing it right now. And he's saving people one soul at a time. One young person. One older person. God has a remnant. He's a remnant encumber. He had a remnant in the time of judges when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. He's a remnant today when men call good evil and call evil good. God has a faithful remnant everywhere. People who are wholeheartedly committed to his word, to the place of prayer, to God's work. And as he continues to build his kingdom in Cumber, in Northern Ireland, across this community. Through the message of the gospel of our kinsman redeemer. And as we say earlier on the week, we're not called to be famous. We're simply called to be faithful in the small things, in the big things. We're called to trust Him, even when we can't trace Him. And our testimony will be like Naomi's and like Fanny Crosby's. This my song, through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. We thank Him for His word to our hearts tonight.